You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Good morning, Pasco Vale. And welcome to another beautiful Sunday, don't we, isn't it, as we worship together. Now, first of all, I'd like to apologize for missing the first Sunday's message of the year as I was diagnosed with kidney stones and I was in immense pain literally the night before, so I could not even stand up that morning to preach, so I'm very sorry about that. However, we've just been also, oh, I'm also now fully recovered, so thanks, praise the Lord for that. Uh, we've just been, unfortunately, given some bad news, as you've heard from Margaret, that uh, Kiki's mum, uh, Suli, has um, just had some spots discovered in her lungs again, um, so we are very concerned, uh, so please pray for the family, because they are very worried at the moment. Uh, but thank you all. Thank you all for your faithful prayers and thoughts as well. Now today we are on to our third part of the uh, How to Find Success in 2024 series. And I hope you have found it helpful. Now we can't speak about success if we don't talk about money. This is because many people associate uh, success with money, don't we? For both the right and the wrong reasons. The world often measures a person's success by his or her wealth, whether they own a large house, a fancy car, or by a job they have to, or holiday that they take. We can't help ourselves sometimes to think that if a person has all these things, and all these things, they must be successful. So sadly, all these things, as, as you know, are just superficial, but that is how people measure success. So before we begin, let's bow our heads and let's really pray and ask God to reveal through the scripture what he has to say to us today. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you are and all the blessings that we've received. We pray, dear Lord, that as we work through and unpack these passages today, that you speak to us individually, convict us, Lord, and challenge us. May the meditation of our hearts and the words that we speak be wholly acceptable to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, we talked about money. So is it wrong to be financially successful? Well, the answer is no. It's no. That's because we see some people in the Bible who are blessed with financial success from God. In the Old Testament, we see Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, King David, and Solomon, just to name a few, who were blessed with much. So if being financially successful is not wrong, then what does it mean to be financially successful from a Christian perspective? So first, let's see how the world perceives money or wealth. Now, for those in the room, I hope we all know this person. His name is John D. Rockefeller, the founder of Standard Oil Company in the U.S. He was the first U.S. billionaire billionaire emphasized that and once upon a time the richest man on earth in an interview he gave with a reporter the reporter asked sir how much money is enough no you have everything how much money is enough and his reply to the question was just a little bit more just a little bit more now friends this is a billionaire 
that we're talking about. He doesn't lack anything. But he just wants that little bit more, isn't it? Maybe he was joking about it. But I'm sure we all can relate. Just a little bit more. And I can afford that Ferrari that I wanted. Just a little bit more. And I can afford that mansion or that big house that I've been looking at. Just a little bit more. And I can go on that beautiful holiday that I've been dreaming about. Or upgrade my phone or my computer or the gadget. Just a little bit more. And I can live and retire in luxury. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. There's always something bigger or better, isn't there? Consumerism in the world has sent the world into an endless pursuit of the next best thing. If we listen to the world's wisdom, we find ourselves often feeling insufficient and consequently we will always chase after money even at the expense of other more important things in life, like perhaps family, relationships, and even our health. That's why the Bible talks a lot about money. Not because Jesus needs your money. No. If anything, all that we have is from Him. The Bible talks about money because God knows Money has a way of getting a grip on your heart. The scripture says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's why today's passage is very important. You'll probably notice that I'm preaching from the same passage as Andrew on the second Sunday of this month. But there are major differences today. I'll be focused a lot more about financial success, not just success in general. I think this passage will be very appropriate if we want to talk about money, because Jesus talks about money here. So when you read this passage, you should ask yourself this question. What is the point of this passage? Why did Jesus tell us this parable? What is the context and the point of the story? Now, thankfully, Jesus' point is very clear. And it doesn't take much for us to understand what Jesus is trying to say. He begins by saying, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of of his possessions. That is his point. Your life must not and should not be defined by how much money you have or how much stuff you own. Jesus further elaborates to us three things when it comes to money. These three things are what we are going to unpack today. Firstly, the worldly wealth. Secondly, the foolishness of the worldly wealth. And then thirdly, we look at what is, what is true riches. Now Jesus gives us an illustration how people typically approach wealth. 
Obviously, this man is doing well financially. His land produces plentifully, and the main thing he thinks about is, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. It's a little bit like this picture, Mr. Scrooge, for those of us who know. How can I make sure that this is all for me? I wonder how many people actually recognize this picture. <laughs> the thought of how can I share this or whom can I bless with all this abundance, this kind of thought, don't even cross his mind. It's all about me, myself, and I, what I want, what I deserve. And that tells us a lot in itself. Of course, when you read this passage, some of us might be thinking, oh, good thing I'm not like the same as this man. No, good thing I'm different. I'm not that rich. My friends, think again. David Platt, a pastor and theologian, writes this, Although we may not always feel rich, that is likely because whenever we hear the word rich, we immediately think of the kind of poor people who have far more than we do. And consequently, we rarely perceive ourselves as rich. But we need a new perspective. For if we have clean water, sufficient food and clothes, a roof over our heads at night, access to medicine, a mode of transport, even if it's public, and the ability to read a book, then relative to billions of people out there, we are incredibly wealthy. We sometimes do not understand how blessed we are. This is because we are always comparing ourselves to someone who's better than us or in a financially better situation than us. We ask ourselves, what do we eat tonight? Not what are we going to eat tonight? We have access to medicine and find doctors when we are sick. We have transportation, even if it's public. But we complain about the bus being late, or that it's dirty or crowded or we can't have a seat. We go to the fridge when it's hot and we grab a cold drink out of it. We can read a book which means you have education and the ability to read, whereas some people have no access to such luxury. We have leftovers, but some, they are barely filling their stomachs. Compared to billions of people in the world, we are incredibly wealthy, my friends. Now, if you are not convinced, you can go to the website called givingwhatwecan.org to find out how, much you re how rich you really are. Just to put it into perspective for us, if you are a family of four and one parent has a stable job in Australia, your family is among the top 15% of the richest people in the world. The top 15%. And if both parents work, your family is among the top 10% of the world. 
even as a single person. If you have a disposable income of $30,000, you are in the top 10% of the global population. But some will say, but my cost of living is much higher than many places and therefore my disposable income is really not that much. But even so, even so, we are still better off than many people in other parts of the world. Look, I'm aware that some of us here may be, in, may be struggling financially. And this is not to belittle the circumstances that you're in or the hardships that you're encountering. So I hope you don't take this the wrong way. What this is, passage is telling us is despite what we think we are going through or how poor we may think we are, we are actually blessed more than we realize. For most of us, we are actually living very comfortably. Okay, maybe I'm not so poor as I think I am, but thank God I'm not selfish as the man in the passage that the Bible just read. Well, I'm sure you're not selfish, my friends. But let's reflect on that thought for a little bit. You see, the man's ambition is this. I want to make sure that I have enough so I can relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And that's the typical definition of financial freedom, of financial independence that we all desire, right? Now, according to Wikipedia, financial independence is a state where an individual or household has accumulated sufficient financial resources that it covers its living expenses, expenses without having to depend on active employment or work to earn money in order to maintain its current lifestyle. Let's be true to yourself and be honest here. Is this not on your mind? Is it not on your mind that we can make it now so that we can just relax, eat, drink and be merry? Do we not think like this man? According, according to the Association of, Association of Superannuation Fund of Australia, the amount of savings required to achieve a comfortable retirement at the age of 67 is 690000 for couples and 595000 for singles. And those figures are in today's dollars. Now, some of us are already well past that, hopefully. But say you retire in 20 years, give or take with the inflation rate, I think we will be close to about a million dollars is what you need. And that's hopefully on top of your paid-off mortgage. But who wants a comfortable life at the age of 67? Many of us desire a comfortable life right now. If we had a choice, if we can retire right now, we probably would. Now, a study published in June of 2022 by a university in the UK found that for most people, the amount of money they need to lead an absolute ideal life, can you guess what the number is? Anyone want to make an offer of what the number might be? No, everyone's quiet. Well, let me tell you. For those in poorer countries, they say $1 million is ideal. 
In America, many people they say need, they need a hundred million dollars, and a small a small minority even says billions of dollars, and some even unlimited wealth. For most people, the study finds the answers around ten million dollars. That's how much is needed to lead an absolute ideal life. They say. That means the majority of us here are not leading an ideal life right now. I mean, how many of us have ten million dollars just lying around? Friends, do we see why God wants us to guard our hearts against greed or covetousness? When you saved up X dollars amount of money, no matter what amount that might be, do you think you will ever stop wanting more? Now, if we are honest, I think we are not that different from the man in the passage. Friends, if we are not careful, we will want to have what this man desires. We will not be any different from this man. And you know what God says about this man? He says, "You fool! You." Fool. Now God doesn't pull his punches here. He doesn't say that you're not clever or that you're still、uh, you made a mistake. No, he outrightly calls you a fool or you're stupid if you did that. There is God's adjective for the people who approaches money like that man in that passage in that parable. Now, of course, we have to ask ourselves: Is Jesus saying that to everyone who desires to earn more money, or is it foolish to work hard to live a more comfortable life? Is is it sinful to be rich? Of course, the answer to this question is a resounding no. The Bible is clear: it condemns laziness and encourages us to work hard to earn our own living. So what then? What then are the aspects of this man's action that's considered foolish? Now, in my view, there are at least two points mentioned in the parable. Firstly, this man is a fool because he puts his trust in his money. He banks all his life on his money, and he thinks his money is his savior. You notice he said his soul can rest, eat, drink, and be merry. In his mind, he's thinking with the money that we have, and with more money, I will be more in control of my life, and nothing can bring me down. He thinks he's infallible with his riches. In short, he is resting on his own possessions. The man accumulates wealth so that he can rely on it. He can relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But of course, the question is: Can we really rest solely on our possessions? Can we really rest on our possessions? Because you and I know that money cannot save us from our worries, can it? Jesus tells us that very this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Now, of course, God is not saying that the moment you get rich, you're going to die, or that He'll demand your life from you. No, Jesus is merely pointing out 
the fallacy of that man's thoughts, thinking that he will last long enough to enjoy all his riches that he's accumulated. Friends, money cannot save us from conflicts and many other things that causes us stress. If anything, money actually makes us more worried, doesn't it? We worry that we lose our money. And money cannot guarantee your future. This is because our life is not our own. It's not in our own hands. Our life is, belongs to God. We are all subject to our mortality. Our wealth cannot protect us from aging. It cannot protect us from disease, let alone death. Yes, money may be able to delay for a bit, but ultimately it cannot save us. Money is a good servant, but it's a terrible savior. So you are full if you put your faith in your possessions. Now secondly, this man is a fool because he's investing in his earthly estate rather than an eternal one. He's accumulating wealth thinking that it will be with him forever. Unfortunately, none of us brings our wealth to our death. We can see that. It's evident to us. Learn from the pharaohs. He built these pyramids as their final resting place. He put tons and tons of treasure in it, thinking that they will enjoy in the afterlife. But instead, those treasures are enjoyed by those who broke into the pyramids and looted it for what it is. He brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of this world. Furthermore, this man does not have God in his mind at all. God is not in his equation. Because on his reliance on his earthly possessions, he thinks he is an authority unto himself. Now the Apostle Paul has something to say about this kind of people. For though they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him because they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts. Again, the word, the word foolish is used here. Hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools when we exchanged the glory of God for the things of this world. When we put our trust in the things of this world instead of God, we are foolish. Look, friends, we've all been foolish now and again. It's not sinful to work hard. It's not sinful to earn your own living. It's not sinful to be rich. But it is foolish if one lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. It is foolishness to rest on our own possessions and investing only in one's earthly estate and is not rich towards God. That, my friends, is foolish. So what should we do then? What is true riches of financial success? 
Now, Jesus illustrates two aspects of it in the passage in verses 24 to 31. He explains to his disciples, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than these birds? And in verse 27, Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. You see, the first thing that Jesus says is that you want to be truly rich towards God. Do this and you'll be rich. Now tell me, why do people accumulate money? It's because they want to live a worry-free life, right? The real aim is not the money. The real aim is peace and rest and enjoyment. Unfortunately, money cannot give you that. It's only temporary. If something, it is only something that God can give. The most peaceful people that I know of is someone, is it someone with abundance wealth? No. The most, peaceful, the most peaceful person that I know of is someone who, who actually have very little. Just look at some of these kids. They live in very poor parts of some of the slums in Africa and South Africa, and they're happier. They're a lot happier than some of the kids that we know today with all their gadgets and toys. Friends, you are truly rich when you can rest today knowing that God has got your tomorrow. Secondly, in verse 31 to 33, Jesus says this, Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for, if it's, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Instead of investing in your own earthly estate that you will not bring with you after you die anyway, why not? Why not invest in God's kingdom? Invest in God's kingdom by giving to the church or giving it to the poor, supporting the missionaries and so on. For example, imagine what we can do if we have sufficient funds to pay for a full-time pastor in Pascoville Church, despite our small numbers. Imagine the ministries we can be involved in if we have the resources to fund God's work here. Perhaps you want to give it to somewhere else. What about donating or supporting organizations that help with blessing the poor and the needy? How about donating to a Christian radio broadcast like Light FM, which brings the message of the good news and hope to the masses through the airwaves? Or even sponsor a child or Fun life-saving eye surgery with Christian blind missions, just to name a few. Perhaps even giving towards world missions, like the voice of the martyrs who is supporting missionaries out there who are struggling and being you know, persecuted. Friends, there's a myriad of avenues we can give that will invest in God's kingdom. How will you invest in God's kingdom in 2024? 
Now, a common question people ask is how much, how much should we invest towards God's kingdom? Whilst the New Testament does not prescribe a certain amount, it encourages us to give cheerfully and sacrificially. Cheerfully means that you have to be happy about it. And sacrificially means that you have to, you have to make some changes to your lifestyle. Maybe it's not having that cafe coffee every day. Or maybe you eat out less. Sacrificial giving means it has to affect your lifestyle. You have to forego certain things in order to give. Another way to give sacrificially is also maybe through your time and through your service as well. Whilst the Old Testament recommends 10%, it is certainly a good start as well. And we can gradually increase from there or decrease as required, depending on your circumstances. But the important thing is, we should always give. And what we give is a decision between you and God. What God has put in your heart to give. But make it a habit. Make it a habit to invest in God's kingdom. Because it's a gift they will keep on giving. It will be all worthwhile because the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And you, can't, you, you just see the benefits of that. The habit is very important because it's an expression. It's an expression of your worship to God. The way you use your money is a reflection of your relationship with God. Friends, today's message is not God asking you to give him money. This is not what this passage is about. God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. He wants your heart because that's where your treasure is. There will your heart be also. As you give towards God, don't be surprised that what occupies your mind more and more is God's kingdom and God's business. In conclusion, don't focus only on things of this earth, but rather fix your minds and hearts on things that are eternal. It's secure and it certainly gives you a solid return on your investment. Friends, the key to financial peace is having peace and a living relationship with our God, not more and more money. You don't need some financial guru telling you how you should buy this share or invest in that stock or invest your money in this particular way. When you trust God, when you know that He loves you, when you are sure that He is good for you, then your attitude towards money will change and you will have peace with your money. You can enjoy your money and everything just falls in the right place. If you don't have a relationship with God, perhaps today is the day that you make a start. If you like, I can, I'm more than welcome to talk to you, have a chat with you about this, or even speak to someone over a cup of tea. We would love to help you start your relationship with God and to start you on the road of financial success as well. But the godly way. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the blessings 
that we received. Sometimes we just take it so much for granted. And sometimes we put money before you. Forgive us, Lord, for our covetousness heart. Help us, Lord, to develop a godly heart. A heart that is looking for every opportunity that we can invest in bringing you glory. Be it our time, our finances, our skills, our abilities, or what you have blessed us with. Help us to not just focus on our future needs, but to focus on what you want us to do today. Lord, I'm sure there's something in these passages that speaks out to every one of our souls. Help us, Lord, to embrace your teaching and be, have a year to hear what you have to say to us today. Challenge us, rebuke us, and train us in righteousness. Lead us, Lord, in the lifestyle that you desire from us. We thank you for all the hearts and all the giving that has been given to this church as well. For without it, we, wouldn't, we would not be able to exist even up to today. But we pray, dear Lord, that you bring what we need to do your greater work here. And we pray, dear Lord, that you continue to use us as we proclaim your word faithfully to reach out to the masses, to the people in Pascoville and beyond bring the scripture and love that you have given each and every one of us. Let us pour it out to our families, to our friends, to our workplaces, so that they too can see your love and your glory and your mercy. We thank you, God, for everything that you've done for us. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.